morning, uh, if you want to kind of turn ahead, we're going to be in Romans for most of the morning. We are going to go to a few other spots. If you want to go to the book of Romans, that's where we're going to be. As we talk about Jesus' resurrection, we're going to talk about it maybe in a way you haven't heard it before. Honestly, as I've studied it this week and really over the past year, some things have come out to me that honestly I didn't quite get for most of my Christian life. Honestly, probably not even until recently. And so the book of Romans is going to help us to see some different things uh, about the resurrection of Jesus. Before I get there, uh, I was thinking about what might be the closest thing we have today of what we would consider uh, a resurrection. Uh, Now, I know there's been stories out there and movies made and books written of people who have literally died and and come back to life. I'm not here to say whether that happened or didn't happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, But what I am... What I do know is one of the things that happens very often uh, in our society, and if you ever watch any of the medical dramas, the, the one of the 55 that are out there right now on TV, um, you will know that one of the main things they talk about, almost in every show or every other show, uh, there is some miraculous transplant story. You know, somebody who has heart disease, their heart is stopping and it's not working, and they go in... And they see the doctor, and the doctor says, your heart is failing. There's nothing we can do. The only thing that will save you now is a heart transplant. And they go through the process, and they get the, uh, at, by the end of the, the show, or when, in real life, this happens in real life, and maybe some of you have been impacted by this, where there's a transplant that saves the life of the person that so desperately needs the new organ. Now, I want you to imagine, though, for a moment, uh, if... Uh, Instead, uh, you come into the doctor, and the doctor tells you you have heart disease. There's no hope, uh, and uh, that the only uh, that it, your your heart is completely done. There's no hope for it. And then the doctor says, "But don't worry, we're going to take you into surgery." And so the doctor takes you into surgery, and takes your bad heart out of your body, and then just sews you back up and leaves you be. That wouldn't accomplish what the goal was, would it? It's not just about taking the bad out, but it's replacing what was bad with something that is good. It's replacing the bad heart with a new heart. And that new heart can give new life. But if you stop short of putting the new heart in and you just say, well, we need to get the bad stuff out, and you take it out without replacing it, the person still doesn't end up any better for it. Actually, they end up worse. And so the understanding, though, that I want us to understand is that we, we in, in Christian circles, in our churches, and I know growing up, we concentrated a whole lot on the death of Jesus, that he died for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven. And that is a truth in Scripture that we need to cling to, that Jesus died on the cross, that he gave his blood, that he shed his blood, gave his life, broke his body so that he could forgive our sins. Those things that we've done where we've turned away from God and said, no thank you God, I'm going to live my own way. When we have sinned against God and gone our way instead of his. And then Jesus came and he died and he said, I have taken the penalty of your sin so that you don't have to face death. You don't have to face eternity in hell because I love you so much that I will give my very life. And we sang about some of that. On Maundy Thursday, we remembered that through communion. And Good Friday is the day that we uh, officially, traditionally uh, view that was the day that Jesus gave his life. And you know, to be honest with you, growing up, I heard a whole lot about Jesus' death. And I heard a whole lot about Jesus' blood. I heard a whole lot about Jesus on the cross. But I would really only hear about Jesus' resurrection about once a year. Which was this Sunday. 
Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is I don't think I ever got how important it is that Jesus rose again. Because I've heard people say before, well, if his death paid, for our, paid the penalty for our sin, then his resurrection really didn't really matter. But we've got, we cannot get to that point. And so what I'm hoping to do today is to take some time to look through the book of Romans and a couple other passages to show that just as just taking out a bad heart and not replacing it with a good heart does no good, Jesus just dying alone without the resurrection would not replace what was bad with something that is good. And that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about a word today uh, that maybe some of you have heard, especially if you've ever been to any kind of Bible college or maybe you've been to a place where they would teach more theology. Or you've heard it maybe preached before. And the word is going to be justification. Uh, And you say, that's weird, talking about justification. Why wouldn't we be talking about resurrection? Well, here's the thing. What we're going to see today, specifically in Romans chapter 4, 22 through 25, which we'll read in just a moment, the main idea we're going to see today is that Jesus died for our sin and he rose for our justification. And our justification comes through resurrection. Justification comes through resurrection. So I want to read where where we're going with this. I want to read and show you that this is what scripture says in Romans chapter 4, verses 22 through 25. Chapter 4, verses 22 through 25. In, these, in, in the context of this, just so you know, uh, Paul is writing about Abraham and the faith that he showed in God and how his faith was counted to him as righteousness, which is where we pick up in verse 22. That is why his faith, talking about Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That last verse there in verse 25, once again, who was delivered up, talking about Jesus, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This verse is very clear. And I, didn't under, I have not understood this verse, and honestly, I still probably don't fully comprehend it, but I'm going to do the very best I can based on what God has shown me in his word to show what this really means. That Jesus died for our sins, as we talked about. He gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to appease the wrath of God. Uh, earlier, another place in Romans, it talks about the propitiation that God has given through Jesus Christ. That is the satisfaction of Jesus' wrath. All right, and so are God's wrath. So we have taken, he has taken God's wrath on our behalf. He has covered our sin. He has forgiven our sin if we come to him in faith through his death. But then we also read here in verse 25, not only did he die for us, but then he was raised for our justification. This morning, if you were at the sunrise service, uh, you know, as Mike was sharing, he, he talked about what does the resurrection really mean for you? And he used it from Mary's perspective and he gave us a few ideas that uh, he knows our name and he can calm our fears. And those things are absolutely true. But I want to show you today too that there's even going further, we see that the resurrection has an impact on us that maybe we've never considered. And that is the fact that Christ is raised, it means that we are justified. Now, you might be saying, well, can you just define justification? Because I'm kind of confused. A lot of times we might use the word justification to say, well, I did something wrong, but I'm going to justify it by making it sound like it was right. That's a negative way to use the word justification. The positive way is this, and I look, this, this definition is from a Bible dictionary, and it says justification is this, to declare a person to be just 
or righteous. To declare a person to be just or righteous. It's a legal term that signifies acquittal. Uh, Acquittal, you know, uh, when somebody looks at someone and says, you are innocent. But what we're going to see is we know we're not innocent, that we have sin. But Jesus died for that sin. But not only does he forgive our sin, but then he declares us, he justifies us, which means he declares us to be just. He declares us to be righteous. It's a legal term. Now, we are not actually righteous in the sense that we are not going to do everything right all the time. We are still sinners. We are still in the flesh. But what we see is that as God looks at us, he acquits us. He, through the blood of Jesus, through Jesus' death, and ultimately here, his resurrection, God can look and see us through the lens of Jesus. And that means that we can be seen as righteous because, he, because Jesus is righteous, we will be seen as such. And so that's what right justification is. So we're going to look at three points today about how Christ and his resurrection leads us to this justification, to be declared righteous. The first point we're going to look at this morning is the act of justification. The act of justification. How did this happen? How does this look? What is the point? How does justification really work? Romans chapter 5, one chapter over. We're going to look at verse 1. We're going to skip over some verses then go to 18 and 19. I would encourage you to read this whole passage at some point. Because of time's sake this morning, we're just going to break it down with these few little passages. But Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and then we'll skip over to verse 18. In chapter 5, verse 1, we're told right off the bat, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we park there just for a moment, our justification of being made righteous has given us peace. We are no longer enemies, but we are now friends Because we are righteous in the eyes of God, thanks to the blood of Jesus. Moving on to verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, that would be the sin of Adam and Eve. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. What we see here is is the plain truth of Romans chapter 5. Just as we are sinners in Adam, when Adam sinned, we all became sinners, not necessarily because we sinned, but because we're sinners. Remember, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. Just think about that for a moment. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Mankind became sinners. And so therefore, we're all born in iniquity, as the Bible would tell us. All right, so as we're sinners in Adam, we are righteous in Christ. Notice that when Adam sinned, we all sinned, even though we weren't necessarily right there sinning alongside of him. You see, what Adam did was the, what provided for all of us in a bad way, but what Jesus did provided for us all in a good way, that those who come to him in faith would be seen as righteous. The sin that separates us from God, that was we are inherited from Adam, it, it, it can be reversed by Jesus, who brings the opposite of sin, which is righteousness. Not that we will be perfect in our actions, but through Christ, we would be seen again as righteous. That's justification. So just as we are sinners in Adam, we are righteous in Christ. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. 
that Jesus came so that we could be righteous, that we could be seen as righteous, not just not as sinners any longer, so that we could have a relationship built with, with God himself. The next point I want to look at in this idea of the act of justification in point one here is found in 1 Corinthians. So that's just another book over, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and you probably have heard this passage used on many Easter Sundays. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and then we're going to skip to 20 through 22, but 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Moving on to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is another reminder in 1 Corinthians, the same thing that was told us in Romans chapter 5, that through one man there was sin and death. Okay, that's the key here. Sin and death came through Adam, but righteousness, and here we read, life comes through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus' resurrection, we would still be in sin, and we would be dead in our sin. We would be dead in our sin. We would still be in sin. Just as, the, just as going back to our illustration, if we're left without a heart, we're still no better off. But because Jesus rose again, he showed that he had power over sin and death, and that that righteousness that he offers, notice I'm using that in the present tense, because he is alive, he can offer righteousness all the time, and he offers that to us through his resurrection, that as he rose, we have new life, that means we can be apart from sin. But as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians where it says without, his, without him being risen, we are still in our sin and we have no hope. But we know that's not true because Christ has risen again. We have hope and we are no longer in our sin, but we can live in the righteousness of Jesus. So let's move on to our next point. As we talk about justification, the next thing we want to look at is not only the act of justification, how it happened, what it looks like, but also the result of justification. The result of justification. So we know what happened. Now what does that mean for us? How, does the, how is the result? What does the result look like? And we already kind of got ahead of ourselves. But if you want to stick in the book of Romans where we just were in chapter 5, we're going to move over to chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you notice, we're kind of just doing a little bit of a, a, a journey through Romans together this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What is the result of our justification? The fact that Jesus came to die to make, make us righteous? The result is this. As Jesus died, we die to sin. As Jesus died, we die. But as Jesus lives, we live new lives. The truth is seen in Romans chapter 6. All the way back in chapter or in verse 4, we were buried therefore by in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. Jesus' resurrection is not just a historical fact that we can come together once a year and, have, uh, and worship that in isolation of what it really means for us. What Jesus says, what God says here through his word, as Paul writes it in Romans chapter 6, is that Jesus died, we die to sin. As Jesus lives, we live a new life. His resurrection gives us the power and the ability to live a new life that is not enslaved to sin any longer. It is not our master any longer. We do not have to sin. We do not have to be brought down by the power of sin. We have uh, the ability and the power to, be, to live new lives. A couple books over in 2 Corinthians, the same concept is seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and many of you will know some of these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded, uh, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. There is no question here in 2 Corinthians. There is no question of what Jesus' resurrection should mean for you and I. What it should mean is that his resurrection brings our recreation. That his resurrection brings our recreation. That we become new. That we live new lives. And notice this isn't in our power, but it is in his. That as he died for us, he gave, he gave us the ability to be forgiven of our sins and to walk away from our sins and to die to sin. But as he rose, he gives us the ability and the power to live in newness of life, to be a new creature, to be a new creation. That we no longer have to live in the old way of living, not in the way that the world around us might live, but we can live for and in and through Jesus Christ because of his resurrection and his justification as he die, we die. As he lives, we live. And it brings recreation. We become new. Later on, I'll ask the question, but if we are looking at our lives and we might show up to church once in a while or maybe we come to church every single week, but if our lives don't look any different than how they used to or they don't look any different than those people who don't know Jesus, then maybe we haven't really been recreated and we need to take some time to consider whether we have truly been justified, whether we have truly accepted the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf through faith. That's something we all need to consider. 
So we've looked at the act of justification, what it means, what it looks like, that uh, although we were sinners in Adam, we are righteous in Christ. The result of justification is new life in Christ. But then we can't miss in all of this, there is one overarching thing that we need to discuss, and that's point three, the means of justification. How are we justified? How are we declared righteous? Because we are guilty. We are born guilty. We are sinners from birth, and we need to be justified, but how does it work? Now, I've already said one thing. We need to, first of all, have faith in Jesus, in his death on the cross that we've explained, and in his resurrection that he came to life and proved that he had power over sin and death. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith that he has done that. But I want to think about something this morning. Notice when we come together, we don't say, he has risen. We Actually, Josiah asked me this question today. Excuse me. Josiah asked me this question, and he said to me, why do we say he is risen? He, it, shouldn't it be he has risen? But we don't say he has risen. We say he is risen because he is still alive. That Jesus is still alive. It's not just what he did, but it's what he's still doing. And that's something we cannot afford to forget as Christians. That even today, Jesus is alive. It's not just, an, it's not just a piece of history that we say, oh yeah, a man came back to, to life. He never died. He is still alive. And therefore, we do say he is risen and he is risen indeed. We don't say he has risen. We say he is risen because it is true then and it is true now and it will be true forever. And what is he doing? If he's alive, what is he doing? Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is, this is I, I, I get, ex- I'm sorry, I'm really excited about this, all right? So, <laughs> Romans chapter 8, <laughs> Romans chapter 8, uh, this is just, I love it. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. What is Jesus doing? He is risen. And so, therefore, what is he doing right now? Because it's not just about what he did, but it's about who he is, and it's about what he's doing right now. Romans chapter 8 Verses 33 through 34. I'm going to go back to 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us graciously all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Now notice this who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it goes on, and I could read that whole passage. But once again, what do we see here? We see that we do not have to face condemnation. We do not need to face other charges from other people because Jesus died. But here, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Jesus died. Yes, he died for our sins. But even more than that, he was raised. And because he was raised, what is true? He is at the right hand of God. Jesus is right now alive in heaven with God the Father watching over us. And even greater than that, what is he doing? It says, who is indeed interceding for us. Intercession. Now, this is another word that some people might not understand, but it's someone going between someone. If there was a fight going on between two people in the church and I came alongside and said, okay, let's talk this out and I, can, and I can kind of bring messages back and forth, that would be a form of intercession. What Jesus does is he stands in the gap of who we are and what we've done in our sin 
and he reminds God of what he's done. He, and not that God needs to be reminded, but Jesus is always there saying this. Yes, he's, a, he's sinned. Yes, he's not perfect, but I paid for him. I died for him and I rose again so that I could be here. So that when he or she messes up, when she, he or she sins against me, that can't be held against them. They can't be condemned because I died for that. And therefore, they are forgiven, and therefore, they are able to live new lives because of my death. And Jesus is there interceding on our behalf to remind God, to show God, to be there as God. But all of that together, Jesus is a constant reminder that what he did covers us and that we are righteous in him. That when God looks at us and sees us as innocent, once again, it's not because we're actually innocent. It's not because we actually stop sinning. It's because Jesus paid for the sin. He became sin for us. That's what the Bible says. And as Jesus became the sin for us, Uh, we became the righteousness of God in him. We see that in scripture as well. That Jesus is now. He's not just, he didn't die and rise, rise again back then. Jesus died then and he rose again and he's still alive and he is interceding for us today. So Jesus is our intercessor. That's what we can believe. That's what we can trust. As we have Easter now, it's not just about tradition that we get up early and we remember a tomb was empty. We remember that the tomb is still empty, that Jesus is still alive and he's still working. Which moves on to our next and and final part of this last point. I want to go over to the book of Hebrews. This is a little bit further away from Romans. Book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Just another reminder of his intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews chapter 7, 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. This is talking about the Old Testament priests. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Don't miss the important part of this. The old priests that would go to God to offer sacrifices for the people for their sin, they weren't permanent priests because eventually they would die. But Jesus is the new high priest. He is the one that is the intercessor for us that goes between God and, and us in a sense to, to declare us righteous, to, to give us forgiveness for our sin, to cover our sin. Atonement is through Jesus. And it says he is a permanent priest because he continues forever. And we can draw near to God and he can save us because we draw near to him and he always lives. He always lives to make intercession for them. Since Jesus is always alive, he is always interceding. This is the truth of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. The tomb was empty and the tomb is empty. Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He's interceding for you. He's interceding for me. If we've come to the place where we have given our lives to Jesus, he is our intercessor. But if today you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're living in your own life and trying maybe to do enough good to make up for your bad, 
trying to intercede for yourself, to say, God, I know, I know I'm kind of bad over here, but God, I'm good over here. Can you look past my bad and look to my good? And we try to intercede for ourselves, or maybe we even try to intercede for others. Like, I know so-and-so, I know they're struggling, God, but man, look at the good parts of them, because I, I, I don't want to see them go to hell. I don't want to see them be, be punished. We can't intercede for others, and we can't intercede for ourselves. We intercede, or Jesus intercedes for us. That is the truth of Scripture. That we can pray and we can ask Him to do things, but ultimately Jesus is the intercessor. So a few things to think about. One other passage we're going to look at in our conclusion back in Romans. Actually going to go backwards from where we started in Romans chapter 3. But the first question of our conclusion is this. In light of Jesus' justification, in light of Jesus' justification of us, Uh, The fact that he has promised that he will declare you righteous and you no longer have to live in your sins. Have you put your faith in him? Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Notice some of the same words we've been talking about are clear in this passage. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in this divine forbearance he had passed over our former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you want to receive justification, if you want to receive God looking at you and declaring you righteous, acquitting you, calling you innocent even though you know you're a sinner, Romans 3.23 was in this passage, we all have sinned. Nobody can get away from that truth. But because we've all sinned, God has given us a way through the blood of Jesus that he died for us, that he rose again, that he is risen again. We have that truth, and if we will believe and have faith, not just believe up here and say, yeah, I think it probably happened, but truly believe in our heart of hearts and in our lives that we, that we commit our lives to Jesus Christ and say, I believe in what you've done. I believe in who you are and I believe what you're still doing. God, take my life. Lord, I commit my life to you and I need your forgiveness. I can't do it on my own. And we come and we pour ourselves out to the, to the Lord and Savior and God who is still alive. We are not praying to a dead God. He saved then, he saved in history and he can save now. Because he's, a risen, he's risen. And so as we have that truth, if you have not accepted Jesus, if you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, accepted the gift that he has given you of his death for your sin, and his blood that he shed to say, I will forgive you of your sin if you just have faith in me, and you haven't come to him and accepted him and praised him for his resurrection and asked for the new life that he promises, then today, Easter Sunday, 2019, this is the day that you can say, Jesus, I know you're alive. Please take my life and make it yours. Make it new. And make today the day you do that. And if you don't know, if you want to know more about that, as always, I'll say this. Talk to myself. Talk to anyone you know here who knows Jesus. Because it's the greatest thing you can ever do 
is to decide and it's to commit to Jesus, the intercessor, the one who is still alive. A couple of questions for the rest of us. In light of Jesus' resurrection, are we living in our new life? As I said earlier, Easter and the resurrection of Jesus should remind us of one thing. Jesus didn't die and rise again for us to be the same. Jesus didn't die and he isn't still living just for us to live the same way the rest of the world does or to live the same way we used to when we lived in our sin. Jesus died and resurrected and is still alive today so that you and I will live different new lives. And if you look at your life and you know in your heart of hearts that your life is not different, that it is not new, it is still enslaved by sin and everywhere you look you're just drawn away from God in every way you need to strongly consider what your faith in Jesus is really placed in do you just maybe believe in your head but you haven't really given your life to Jesus and I'm not saying today that if you're looking at your life and it's like oh I'm not so sure that it's new I need to try harder and I need to push further in I need to read my Bible more you can do all of those things but if you haven't truly said Jesus take my life and make it new That is the way to new life. It's not by working. It's not by creating a new life for ourselves, but it's by allowing him to make us a new creation. So consider that today on Easter. I know Easter is supposed to be an uplifting time, and I think it is an uplifting time. It is so important that we remember that Jesus is interceding for us, and he is alive. But we can't just stop at being happy about it and praising him for that. That is all great. But God says, because I rose again, you can live a new life. That is what Easter should mean for all of us. And finally, in light of Jesus' intercession, the fact that he is alive and he's constantly showing us to be righteous, are we truly trusting in his work? Or are we, like I just said, trying to do it in our own strength? Trying to prove to God that we can be good enough? Trying to prove that uh, I, I can come to church enough, I can give enough money, I can read my Bible enough, I can pray enough, I can do what I need to do in order to make God see me as righteous. That'll never work. The only way it works is by coming to Jesus and daily saying, Jesus, I'm struggling. Jesus, I am sinning, but I need your help, and I need you to continue to intercede. And you know what the truth of Hebrews tells us? He will, and he does, and he always will. That is the truth that we can cling to as we think about Easter. We think about Jesus' resurrection So have you received the justification that comes from resurrection? And are you living it out? Those are the questions we can ask this Easter Sunday. With that, if you would join me in a closing prayer as the worship team comes forward.